Hi everyone and welcome back to the Toffee Blues podcast with me, Callum Snell. Delighted to say Mike from the Unholy Trinity podcast has jumped back on with us again for this week's edition. We are available on all podcasts, wherever he podcasts from, um, and there'll also be a version going out on YouTube as well. So yeah, we're joined by Mike. How are you doing, mate? You're all good? Very well, mate. Yeah, very well. Quite busy, but all uh, happy the Blues are back this weekend, that's for sure. Of course, absolutely. It seems like it's been forever, doesn't it, since that West Ham game, but here we are. Facing another round of fixtures, which is all good. Um, last week there wasn't an awful lot going on with it being the international break and everything like that. Bit of negative injury news as well, which I'm sure we'll jump into in in a bit of detail. We've had some updates on that today. Um, so yeah, let's let's get straight into it. Um, obviously last week um, it's been all international games, been the the Nations League, everyone's favourite competition. Um, unfortunately, it's seen one of our one of our star players, if you like, Nathan Patterson, pick up an injury. Um, last week, uh, the jury was out with the extent of this injury. Uh, it looks like it's his ankle. Not a lot of people were so sure how long it was going to be. But what we do know is just how important Nathan Patterson is to this Everton side now. He just seems to be just getting better and better week on week in that right back position for us. And it was it was such a such a shame to lose him out to injury in such a competition. Um, so it came out today. The club confirmed that we're looking at about four to five weeks with Nathan, Nathan Patterson. Put my teeth back in. Um, yeah, it, it could have been worse, I suppose, Mike. Could have been a lot worse uh, than originally first feared. But we'll, we'll take the four or five weeks. So when do you expect to see Nathan Patterson back? Do you think it's going to be maybe after the World Cup now? But of course, it, it's it's better than it could have been, isn't it, Mike? Yeah, I mean, I think obviously the we we heard at the start of the week of potentially six weeks. So this is slightly shorter. But my, my thinking at that time was it was going to be after the World Cup. You know, obviously we we did travel to Australia for a couple of games, don't we? After we play Bournemouth, we we go over there for um, for say ten days or so. So there will be a couple of friendlies. Maybe that are probably ideal for him to to get back into into playing some kind of uh, semi competitive football. Um, so obviously when, when you see him. When you see him go down and when you slow down the, the incident which led to the injury, you, you feel the worst, don't you? I mean, we, we were all thinking some kind of ligament damage to his knee. Um, even if it was, you know, um, I think medial ligaments, it still could have been sort of, you know, a couple of months. So you, you, you were fairly you were fairly glad that it wasn't. But such a shame, you know, like you said, then he started the season particularly well. After probably Alex Iwobi's probably being our best player, to be honest. I think um, everyone will probably agree. He's definitely in our top three anyway. And, and it's been it's been good for him to you know to have that that break last season when he did get injured to I think I said it on the last podcast just just, just to settle down settle into life in, in in the city understand what the club's all about and then obviously he started the season really well and unfortunately for him he's he's going to miss out on the, the, the next probably four or five games um, so it's it's over to to Seamus Coleman to to come back and it looks like yeah and I think it's a bit. Unexpected, actually. You talk about Seamus Coleman there. He's a player who I think, you know, everyone knows he's at the back end of his career now. I think a lot of people were quite happy for him to sort of step into this role this season, almost like this this, de- this 
back up right back, which he's more than capable to do. He's played a lot of football in the last couple of years, you know, up until the Nathan Patterson signing. It was just something that the fans went on for a long time about was getting that right back position filled. And thankfully, we've managed to do that now with Nathan Patterson, who's a top, top player. But as you just touched on there, it's time for Seamus Coleman, the uh, the club captain, to come back into the fold. Um, he can do a job, can't he, Mike? There's, there's far worse options we could have had. You know, it's not like we're relying on John Joel Kenny to come in or anything like that. You know, he's a solid player, Seamus Coleman, and he's been a fan's favourite for many, many years now at the club. Always put the shift in, gets what, gets what it's about. And, you know, Seamus Coleman coming in for four or five weeks, you know, six at most, who, who knows? Of course, I think we'll learn a lot when we go to Australia for these friendlies, if Nathan Patterson's going to be back or not. But it'll be good to see Seamus back, I suppose, won't it, Mike? Because, you know, we... We know that we don't want to see him play every single week because his legs and his body just won't allow him to do it anymore. But it'll be good to see him come back and see that he can still do a job with the club. What, what do you think about Seamus Coleman coming back into the fold? Yeah, I think when, when obviously uh, Patterson got injured and then you, you see the reaction on social media, which as per usual, there's always an overreaction to you know Seamus Coleman you know, potentially having to, to be our, our right back for the foreseeable. But, you know, we, we know what he's all about. We, we know he, you know, he's a, he's a consummate professional. Um, he's the club captain. You know, I'm sure Nathan Patterson has learned a lot from him in the time he, he's, he's been at the club already. Um, you know, he's going to give up 110%, you know, every single time he plays. It just shows you how well Patterson started the season. That That's the, the reaction just said to me, you know, how good he's actually been to, to think that we, we were... I mean, Seamus Coleman, I think, said himself behind closed doors that he knew his time was coming to an end probably two years ago and, and he needed someone to, to come in and take over the reins. But, for, you know, a case of four or five games, he can certainly do it. Of course he can. You know, we, we know he can. You know, whether we see a change of formation, I don't think so. I, I think the Fret Lampard will be quite keen to keep the, the four at the back. You've got that extra cover now with, with his use of guy and guy anyway in the middle of midfield. You can, you know, just slot back in if, you know, Seamus Coleman breaks or or Mikhailenko goes forward. So I'm not too concerned. Uh, Mason Holgate is due back shortly, so could always slot in at right back if we want a little bit more pace. Um, so that's another option. So it's it's not all not all doom and gloom. We, we've got decent right back cover now when we, we, we haven't had previously. Um, but as I say, it, it's more, the reaction was more a reflection on the fact that how well Nathan Patterson started the season. Yeah, that's where the that's where the sting to the tails really come from, isn't it? It's just how much of an impact and how much of a positive effect Patterson's had on this side. But yeah, just it's great to see Seamus back. We're not in a bad run of form at the moment. It's a good time for him to come in. There's a lot of positivity around the camp at the moment. So it's almost the, the perfect time for Seamus to come back in the side. And you touched on options there. And you know, me and you, Mike, have touched on this a few times on this show now, haven't we? How it's good to have these different these different avenues available now. You know, you touched on Mason Holgate there. What I'd actually forgotten about, to be honest with you, it just shows how good the the current side have been playing. So there are players coming back, and it's not doom and gloom, as you say. We're not relying on anyone who's a, not good enough, or B, inexperienced to come in and do a job. So for Seamus Coleman to come in, it's a solid option because, you know, for 12, 13 years now, he's been one of the first names on the team sheet. So there's not too much, too many issues there with him coming in in the short term. But four or five weeks, Nathan Patterson, we're going to miss him, obviously. He's had a fantastic start to the season, fantastic player. And I think the media are starting to pick up on that as well now with some of the reaction um, with him missing out through injury so it'll be a big miss for Seamus Coleman to have him to come back in the fold and it'll be interesting to see how he does just the one appearance so far this season for Seamus in the League Cup tie against Fleetwood but yeah good to welcome him back uh, moving on now a um, bit of transfer news this week even though the transfer window has shut 
and it is uh, Alan. Alan has departed the club after two years. He's gone to the United Arab Emirates to join Al Awada. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but he has um, he's, he's moved on. It's a shame. You know, there was a time when Alan was regarded as a really, really useful player for the club, brought in by Carlo Ancelotti, of course, during the COVID season in 2020, slotted into the side brilliantly. Him and Abdelai Decore played really, really well at times. Um, sort of had his, his injury issues a little bit now and again. Um, but when he when he was on form, he was a really useful player for the club. Uh, made 57 appearances in all competitions for the Blues. Didn't register a goal. But yeah, he did the job, didn't he, Mike? I mean, if it were me, I, I would have liked to have kept him maybe as like a, a squad player to come on. But A, I think he's probably too good for that maybe. And he can have a better effect somewhere else. But I think overriding, I just don't think he's in Lampard's plans, is he, with this current midfield setup? So what's your take on, on the Allen transfer, Mike? Uh, I think it was quite obvious a few because you know that he was going to move. Um, obviously, the transfer window closed, but there were other avenues and other windows still open. And, and the main one being obviously over in the uh, in the Middle East. There, there was there was a few transfer windows still open until uh, the middle end of September, start of October, uh, as well. So I think that you know looking at the options we've got in centre midfield, the injury issues that he's had. Um, obviously, had a hernia operation over the course of the summer. Um, the age of him, the wage that he that he was on. I think you look at all those things, and the managers decide, you know, and obviously Kevin Sell well as well. That we need to be moving these kind of players on. We've seen it already in terms of other players who have gone. Who obviously players who weren't given new deals: Fabian Delph, Jen Tosson, Kilfie Sigurdsson. Obviously now now Alan, players who offered, you know. 57 games over in the time he's been in the club is not not a great a great deal. You know, he's had quite a few stints out with injury. And like you said, you know, in that season under Carlo Ancelotti, that first season, him and the Corey both got injured, didn't he, at, at some point. And, and we were like, you know, what, what are we going to do now? We haven't got the other, other players to come in and replace them. You know, the, the two of them work really well together. It shows you now the direction the club are taking for me. You know, you look at the options we've got. You know, you, you, you're starting to see are going to be Onana, Iwobi, who's been absolutely terrific. And as you said, Gala Gay, you've then got off, off the bench, um, obviously James Garner has been brought in. Yet to see him, but, you know, a young lad, loads of potential. You've got, obviously, Tom Davis as well. And you've still got the Corey there as the as the third option. So you've got some real options there now. And I always wondered with Alan whether, you know, I, I was happy when he signed, but I always questioned, was the league too quick for him? You know, he hasn't got blistering pace at all. He's, he's quite slow, it should be told. You know, great in the tackle, lo- loved his attitude when he played, you know, but one of those players that you you knew would always give us all. But I just think that at times it's just got a little bit too, too much for him and that's probably why he suffered so much with with injuries. So I wasn't surprised um, when when you, you weren't seeing him in the squad, in a match day squad, you, you sort of you think the writing's on the wall, but... Best of luck to him, you know, we, we we didn't probably see the best of him, you know, he, he didn't probably play his best football, but at times we, I thought he, he was decent, but do we think it's right he was moved on? I would say so, yeah. I think it was about time that, that, that we, we sort of got these kind of players now off the books and let's look forward now with, with, it, with a bit of youth and, and obviously even more options that we've got available to ourselves now. So would you argue that Alan's time at Everton has been quite underwhelming? Have you been quite in the hole? Have you been a little bit disappointed considering we brought him in 29 years of age at the time from Napoli? He was, you know, he was a permanent fixture in that side. Carlo Ancelotti was obviously very keen to bring him in. 
And, you know, in, in almost, I suppose, bang on two years because the transfer window got extended, didn't it? Um, he's now shown the door. Um, obviously, you, you mentioned some great points there about his age, uh, his wage, and perhaps not being quite up to speed in the Premier League. So how would you assess his time at the club? Obviously, two years here, I think it's been full of ups and downs. He's, he's dipped in and out of form. But what would your lasting memory be of Alan with his effect on Everton Football Club? I think I think underwhelming is probably the, the, the right way to be honest, and, and I think that the main reason for it is the fact that we, we didn't see him as much as we wanted to see him. That that's probably the biggest reason why, and um, he probably was never really used in in the right way as well. I'd say he was never a number six. To be honest, he, if it, you know, if you look at his time at Napoli, he he was always really efficient at carrying the ball forward and starting attacks off. He, you know, not really sitting in front of the back four. We we used him there because we we almost had to. Um, so you wonder whether in the midfield three now, he would he would do more of a, an effective job uh, playing slightly further forward. But like I say, it's what we've got now as other options. You know, d- does he get ahead of the three that, that are currently playing in midfield? No. Um, does he get ahead of of the core eight? No, because he's more energetic. So so, straight, so you're looking at it, is he fifth choice? Well, he's then got James Garner, who is, I say, bags of talent, who... You know, I'm looking forward to seeing to seeing much more of him. So he's probably below him. And to be fair to Tom Davis, he started the season pretty well as well. So you, you're looking at is he is he going to be sort of fifth, sixth, seventh choice in a in a Premier League side at his age? No, he's not. Um, so I just think that yeah, I think underwhelming is probably the best way to look at it. I would have liked to see a bit more of him and him use maybe in a slightly different position, slightly further forward. Uh, but I say injuries dictated his time so it, it's a shame we didn't get to see more of him but um, I think once Carlo went as well I think I think it was always obviously that link they had a, a previous relationship that potentially impacted things as well for me um, not questioning him as, as a professional footballer but you know I, I always think that the players that Carlo brought in you know most notably Hammers and, and Alan with it with the main two I think it was always going to be difficult for them once Carlo moved on to, to, to probably stay at the club and, and, and really kick on. So, yeah, a shame, you know, um, if he would have had, had him in a few years earlier when he was probably at his best, then it, it would have been a different story. But it's, it's just the way it goes. Yeah, it's funny with Alan in a way, isn't it? Because he was brought in at a time at the start of Ancelotti's first and only full season with the club. And it was a time of a lot of optimism. We thought this was going to be the rebuild. This was it. Ancelotti's he brought in Hammers, Decore, and um, obviously Alan. Now it's just Decore remaining now, and he's pretty much a squad player at best now. Um, yeah, it just, I suppose it supports that argument of that season was very much a false start, wasn't it? You know, no one anticipated Ancelotti leaving for Madrid at the end of that season. And then obviously that. That was the catalyst for Rafa Benitez coming in, which then put us back years and ultimately left us with another rebuild job this summer. But it seems like this one seems to have a bit more legs in it. And um, just before we move on from Alan, obviously you, you mentioned there about how key factors with him being moved on by the likes of Kevin Thelwell and Frank Lampard was his his wages, his age. Is this just another example about how maybe the pennies drop now for the club? I think when you look back now, a lot of these top earners, you know, you mentioned a few there. Are no longer with us. A lot of money has been saved here. Uh, you look at the options that are going to come into midfield now, like your James Garners, who have, who have the world at their feet potentially. So I suppose it's just another indication at the the effect that Kevin Thelwell and and everyone else at the club now is slowly starting to have. Maybe this new sort of direction they want to take. You know, Alan on two years he's out the door. A lot of these other big earners are now out the door. It's just it, it's starting to. 
it just makes for better reading, doesn't it, Mike? It looks like it, that that argument. How well there's a plan now, there's a bit of direction. It just further adds fuel to that fire, doesn't it? That there's a bit more of a direction at the club at the moment. Yeah, I think it's probably highlighting the fact that that Mishiri's taking a step back. That's what all indications are, I think. Um, I'm not saying he doesn't interfere at times with other things. I'm not saying that Bill Kenby doesn't interfere with certain things either. But I think you know when you you have a director of football, we, we've been saying for years since you know. Okay, Steve Walsh was it was definitely a false dawn, but when Marcel Brands came in, we everyone was saying you know we look forward to to seeing what he could do, you know, let him do his job, and it, and it never really happened. And he became a fall guy, which I thought was pretty unfair to be honest. I don't think I'm not saying he was he was totally blameless, and he had a, you know a couple of transfers that he brought in weren't great, but I think he did you know if he would have been allowed to do his job properly and allowed to be a director of football properly. Then we would have probably sort of seen seen more rewards from from his work, but I think yeah, I think I think Mashiri stepping back. I think Kevin Selwell, you can see by the work he's done with the academy, with that structure, with with um, staff he's brought in, with obviously the move arounds, with obviously Leighton Baines and Paul Tate being being the prime examples. Um, that's really positive. So the signs are there, are they? That we're we're looking to build a structure now that makes our academy efficient, that allows us to bring players through. That can make it to the first team. That that will then, you know, you know, let, let's get it right. That will then save us money in, in the longer term because we haven't got to go and spend, say, 30, 35 million pounds on a player. We've got a good lad coming through the academy, you know. So it's it's all about basically being an efficient club and making savings where we can. And, and we're starting to see, you know, you look at the the profile of players that are being brought in. Obviously, we've got that experience with Cody Tarkowski and, and Azusa Gay, But then we bring in the likes of Obviously, Amadou Onana, who's, you know, he was 20 when he signed, 21 now. You've got James Garner, young young kid. You've got, uh, I mean, you know, Neil Mope, was he 25, 26? He's, he's not the sick, he's not old. He's, he's come up to, up to his peak years. Um, so we're seeing younger players brought in, which is giving a, a fresher look to, to the squad. And, and it just means that we we are starting to see this direction and this this identity, you know, and it's, it's a good mix of, of players' age profiles, but it does seem that manager and director of football are being allowed to do, to do the job in terms of recruitment. Yeah, absolutely. 100% agree there. Uh, so, yeah, Alan has departed. He's moved to the United Arab Emirates after two years at the club. Uh, yeah, just moving on now. Another little story that's been doing the rounds in the week um, is about Manchester United and Jordan Pickford. Just want to touch on this for a moment. Pickford has been, you know, what Evertonians don't need telling that he's been a fantastic goalkeeper, arguably one of the best in the league, one of Everton's consistent performers in recent years, you know, performed wonders last season for us. And, you know, he showed early signs before the injury this season that he's carried that form into this season as well. Now, you've got a big club like Manchester United, apparently, if, if rumours are to be believed, they're currently weighing up the, the situation with their own goalkeeper in David De Gea, who, of course, has been there for many, many years. Um, I, I can see why this link can be made. You know, Jordan Pickford is a top goalkeeper. He's the England number one. Should we be worried about this, Mike? You know, because obviously there's been a few, there's been some talk recently about Pickford maybe being allowed for a new contract, which I think everyone would love to happen. It, it's one of them, isn't it? Like, 
players' heads can be turned by moves like this. Manchester United, when they come calling, you know, I, I know it's a completely different player in a completely different position, but you think back to Romelu Lukaku, a lot of talk at the time of him signing a big new contract at Everton, and then a big club like Chelsea came sniffing and he was out the door. Should we be concerned about this? Sort of, of course, it is rumours. It doesn't seem to have a lot of legs at the moment, so we have to bear that in mind. But is it something to be mindful of going forward that a lot of clubs, big clubs, might start come sniffing around Jordan soon, particularly Manchester United, given their current situation with their goalkeeper? Um, I don't think you should ever, ever be concerned because football's a business, and, and the idea is you, you create a model where you you get good money or top money for for your for your players. So you know if if they want to spend. 60, 70 million pounds for Jordan Pickford, then go ahead. That's absolutely fine. You know, that, that's their decision. But all, I mean, I, I do think he'll sign a new deal. I, I really do. But all that does is protect our position as a football club because if he's on, a, say, a four or five year deal as opposed to having 18 months left on his contract, it means we can demand a bigger transfer fee. That's all that, 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 that does. I mean, I'm, I'm one of his biggest fans in terms of, you know, how he's maybe turned his career around. You know, the last 18 months, I think he's been particularly consistent. I think the, the the media coverage of Jordan Pickford is absolutely horrific. I think uh, you know the, the agenda against them just baffles me. I don't understand why there's there's certain players who get such a rough ride, and and I think a lot of the time it comes down to the character of the player. I mean, I think Jack Grealish is another example. He, he's quite a sort of loud, sort of leery lad. He's he's out there. He's not quiet. You know, he, he takes a bit of a drink, doesn't he, and things like that. And now, he's a talented footballer in, in the best side in the in the country, one of England's best players, and he gets ripped apart and gets questioned week in, week out. The same with Jordan Pickford. And, you know, it, 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 you look at the, the two of the lads, England goalkeepers, all three who are included, Henderson. You know, it's it's all been about this week, about, about who's going to go to the World Cup, who's going to start the World Cup and, and all that. Jordan Pickford is, is miles clear as, as England's best goalkeeper. And the sheer fact that he's been so consistent, he's always performed well for his country, He's been, as I say, Everton's best player for the last 18 months. And these lads who are coming through or, you know, potentially trying to take his place, they haven't got that level of consistency and level of experience in the big competition. So it's no surprise that your Manchester United look at Jordan Pickford because of the, the, the class of goalkeeper that he is and the fact that he's used, used to, to be playing basically on the biggest stage. So when it comes to the Champions League, the top end of the Premier League, it will not phase him. Um, so the, the, link, the links are always going to be there, aren't they? And it doesn't bother me as, as long as Everton get the right money for any player because no one is expendable. And uh, as much as I like him and think he's a very good goalkeeper, you know, you, you, as long as we, we reinvest correctly, it's no, no issue for me. Everyone's got a price and that's how, how, how our club should be run. Brighton do it really well. Everton have got to be really following suit with that, with that kind of thing. And how much is he worth, Mike? How much would you say Jordan Pickford is worth? I, I, I say I'll be commanding 60, 70 million quid, no problem. If, he, if he's on a four-year deal, if he signs a new contract, say, a four, say four or five years, then if you're if you're your country's starting goalkeeper, we've got to be commanding that kind of money. We, we've got to be, in the, even in the current market, where things have dropped slightly compared to what they were maybe two, three years ago. But even then, we, we've got to be asking that kind of money and, and clubs will pay it. And, and if, if they don't, don't want to pay it, then he stays and, we, and we've still got the, the best best goalkeeper in the country, so no problem with that either. Yes, there you go. Not a lot of concern there. If we get the right money, then that's the main thing. 
you touched on it then, all the best clubs do it. You know, I know they're not having the best season at Leicester. You look at them, you know, clubs like Brighton, who you point out there. These, This is the sort of model that I've been crying out for for a while and we can't get too hung up on, on things like that. So there we go. That's just another, another rumour doing the rounds in this last week. So it'll probably be something else next week. But there you go. We do mention it anyway. Um, moving on now. Um, obviously, Everton are back this weekend against Southampton. Um, another away game. We are unbeaten in six, I think, in all competitions. I think we are unbeaten in six games. We travel to St Mary's on the south coast. Um, it's a ground where we don't have the best of records, I think. It's fair to say. So, you know, there's that sort of infamous win, if you like, in the green kit, which was very seems a lifetime a lifetime ago now, with Ross Barkley and Romelu Lukaku having a great game that day, but. Yeah, wins have been hard to come by at St Mary's in recent times. Uh, difficult place to go, difficult side to play against. Um, I suppose, I don't want to say play for the draw, but Everton are more than capable of going down and getting three points. We, we've spoke a lot of times on this show about how there is a good feeling in the camp at the minute, a lot of positivity. Players are in good form. We've got a strong defence, albeit Nathan Patterson's injured. But do Everton... How do Everton approach this game, um, Mike? Do we do do we sit back and, and or do we take the game to Southampton? How, how do we approach this game? For me, we're, we're good enough to go there and win the game. You know, we, we we've got to look at. I I think week on week, game on game, we we've got better. You know, we, we look at that first game of the season against Chelsea. You could argue we deserved it, well, but but in an attacking sense, we weren't really in the game. Uh, but then you you look at you know even the Villa game, the last fifteen minutes. We were the better side. Should have really come away with something from there. Um, could have really won the Merseyside derby. Uh, could have won at Brentford. Could have won at Leeds. You could argue those two games. Maybe we should have won at least one of them. Forest. I think we should have won that game. We were the better side. And obviously we got the three points against West Ham. So I think we 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 are getting better every single weekend. Sides like Southampton who were hit and miss at the best of times. You know you can look great one week and look poor the next. They're the sides that we should be going away and looking to beat. You know, I, I don't think we need to set up also defensive. I, I expect the 4-3-3. I expect the side that, that started the, against West Ham bar Nathan Patterson to, to probably start the game um, against Southampton. I think, you know, Mopay will definitely keep his spot after scoring a, a great goal and and obviously gives Don that extra bit of time to, to get himself ready. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I think it's, it's going to be a Difficult game. I mean, when you go away from home, it always is. But you know, we the good the good part of our our performances at Brentford and Leeds. You know, we should be looking at that thing, and we can take that because they're better sides than Southampton. Let, let's get it right. Both of those sides play with high intensity um, and put you under pressure. We should be able to go to St Mary's and, and impose ourselves. I think early, early on in the game, but because we are a little bit. Lean in terms of goals. Um, we we think we've probably scored five in the first the first seven games, conceded six. We we need to we need to basically you know make sure that we are as efficient as we can be. Uh, but Frank Lampard said after the West Ham game, how much they've been working on the possession side of the game. We we kept the ball a lot more against West Ham and had more possession than, than previous games. And he said we're looking to get even better at that and get the players more comfortable on the ball. So I, th- I think we can definitely go there and impose ourselves, you know, limit them to, to few chances. We've seen how much we, we've sort of closed that door, that back door. Now we look a, a lot stronger uh, defensively, but we've got to now put a little bit of onus on our attacking players, whether it be the two wide lads, Neil Mopay, you know, Awobi, 
Um, he's been great. You know, we'd like to see him to start scoring. Onana, you know, all those, those kind of players have got to be imposing themselves in an attacking sense. But I thought it better us to go down there and at least get something. Um, we shouldn't be going down there fearing Southampton, especially after the, the positive way that we started the season, despite being where we are and, and having only uh, only one win. I think overall it's been a decent start and we, and we can really see a progression with this side. Yeah, of course. It's, uh, it's Everton's first away game for quite a long time, actually, when you think all the things that have been going on in the meantime from the Leeds game. Am I right in saying was the last away game? Obviously, that was 1-1. And then you think back to the Brentford game, which was, was, was the Saturday before that. And one of the big arguments about those games was the fact how we were very blunt in our attacking and we didn't have many goals in us. And OK, we probably still don't have an abundance of goals in us, but at least we have a threat now, don't we? And Neil Mopé, you know, he's always looked sharp. He's always looked in the game. Um he could have easily have had the goal in the Merseyside derby. And, and it was a fantastic finish against West Ham to give us all the three points. So he's obviously going to have a lot of confidence at the moment. So I agree with you. I think he will start the game. Um, in terms of injuries, Calvert-Lewin and the rest of it, there was a couple of murmurs that maybe pick, picked up a bit of a twinge again before the international break. And there's not been much to come of that recently. So I don't think that's an awful lot to worry about. But Frank Lampard is yet to give his press conference. I imagine that will probably happen sometime over the next day or so. So we'll probably have more of an idea of how Everton are looking squad-wise. But absolutely, I agree. I think Neil Mopé, he can offer a lot to this squad. And we spoke on the podcast last week with um, with James about how Neil Mopé, he can really he can really be a useful player for this Everton side. We talked about how Richarlison left the club and he Andros Townsend spoke on TalkSport very well about this. He said he, he's one of those players who, when he plays for you, you love him. And when he plays against you, you hate him. And Everton, Evertonians always talk to those kind of players. So just on Neil Mopé, he, he can really succeed at this club, can't he? You know, not just his performances. He's a narc as well, isn't he? He's one of them players who everyone sort of needs in their side. And I, think, I suppose there's a bit of a fear that we lost a bit of that when Richardson went to Spurs. But I know it's early days, but what, what can Neil Mopé bring to this Everton side? You know, you, you mentioned earlier on the pod how he, he's, he's not old. He's coming into his prime essentially soon. And it was a fantastic take against West Ham. You know, it's a, it's a fantastic touch and he takes his shot quickly and it's a, it was a great goal. So, moving forward, he can be a really useful player for us coming from Brighton, can't he, Mike? Yeah, well, I, I was on a, a, a YouTube live last night with it was a, it was a Bournemouth fans one, but it was a, a round table thing with me and a Brighton fan, the Bournemouth fan. And speaking to the Brighton fans, talking about Neil Mope, and he said, you know, the frustration at times was he'd missed the easier chances. We probably saw that against Liverpool, where yes. we, we thought he should have scored. And, and he said himself, I mean, I know he was devastated according to mm. other players that he missed out with Susie, but listen, it, it happens. Um, and then scores that, that goal technically against West Ham was absolutely fantastic. Takes it quickly, catches it brilliantly because he, he, he caught it so well and it is it, it so early. The goalkeeper had no chance, you know, he couldn't react to it. Um, so I think that the thing with the thing about him is he, he's a sort of throwback player, if you like, to a sort of Stephen Naismith, as, a, yes. as an example, Tim, Tim Cale, masters of the dark arts, almost, you know, they're a little pain in the arse, aren't they? The yeah. little sort of, you refer to him as, as a wasp, like, like a Paul Dickoff kind of player, yeah. who's always buzzing around, always in your face, he's annoying, um, he's, he's a wind-up merchant, he, he loves, you know, you look at the footage from from when he scored against Crystal Palace of Brighton, yeah, he gives definitely. everything those to the crowd, you know, he loves all that. So that's what we like. We, we like those kind of players who, who leave it all on the pitch. Their attitude is, is basically that all that matters is, is putting in a performance and he'll do whatever he can to, to, to basically get, get the team to win. So he will be a success because of the character that, that he is. And 
as we all know as Everton fans, we 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 take to those kind of characters. We we yeah. like it, you know. Richardson, like you say, had that in his game. I mean, Richardson's obviously a very very good player, but that was one of his main his main things. Richardson was that he appealed to us because you always knew he was on your side. He was playing for your team, and all that mattered was us winning. And and that's that's what Neil Mope sort of gives me that those, those kind of vibes about his similar kind of player in terms of the attitude and and those characteristics. And he's going to be a pain in the ass. And I think if he if he can grab us sort of ten goals this season, that'll be a really really good return. Um, hoping that obviously other players can chip in. But I think I think it's a, a very smart sign, and not not one of the signs where you go. We have, you know, it's going to set the world light. Not the, yeah. not, the, not the champagne Hollywood signing that maybe some some uh, fans strive for. But you always need players like Neil Mopey in your side, and it's good to have him. You know, you look at him, Tarkowski, Cody. Look what happened against West Ham when um, was it Smacker came on and and uh, he caught uh, was it Garner with an elbow? Yeah, straight away. Straight those, yeah, they're all over. That's what you need because we we've been too nice for, for too long. You know, we we sort mm. of I'm not saying there's no fight, but there's no sort of shit house we going on. Is that, that that's, yeah. that's the big thing? And with him, with the two lads at the back, and you know, Onan is a bit like that. He, he likes a bit of a back as well. You've got players who are there to fight for the team, and, and he's going to be, I think, front and centre of that. Absolutely, yeah. I think taking. You know, obviously he has a great attacking impetus on the game as well, but just as a personality, he's going to go down very well with these Evertonians. And you know, it's our first away game since we've had this sort of um, this little boost in attack, if you like, because obviously we all know we didn't get quite registered in time for the Leeds game. So being able to take that that extra bit of attack to Southampton will be uh, will be a, a big plus for us, and hopefully we can go down there and get all three points. More than capable of doing it. You know, we had this conversation last week. We don't get a, we don't want to get too carried away ever as Evertonians, but three points on Saturday could do us the world of good. It puts us in a really, really good position going into these final. You know, for how many games? About eight games left before the World Got Cup. Eight le- yeah, eight left. Yeah. You know, it puts us in quite a healthy position. If we can maintain these sort of performances, then you know things things are quite looking us for going into this this break. Um, so yeah, it's a game we can more than capable go and win. Uh, I think a lot of people would. We're quite happy with the draw, but the way things are going, we're more than capable of, of beating Southampton with this current Everton side. Um, as you say, I fully expect a similar sort of side to enter this game, barred, of course, Nathan Patterson. So we'll just wait and see on that one. Of course, Frank Lampard has yet to speak to the media, so we will get more of an idea of how we are looking squad-wise. But there you go. Um, Southampton this weekend, three o'clock at St Mary's. Hopefully we can come away with all three points. So we'll leave the pod there. Um, thanks very much to Mike for jumping on Mike from the Unholy Trinity podcast be sure to give them a subscribe and a follow if you can um, yeah subscribe to the Toffee Blues podcast of course if you haven't already done so leave this video a like on YouTube as well and um, you can get this podcast on all your usual podcast providers as well so thanks very much for tuning in uh, big thanks again to Mike for jumping on and we shall be back next week where hopefully we can discuss three points on the South Coast so thanks for tuning in everyone and take care